we're in the second week of a series that we're calling The Basics. And it sounds as simple as it is. We're just getting back to the basics during this series. I feel like over the last few months, we have covered some very heavy topics. We have covered a lot of what's going on in our society. We've talked about how we as Christ followers need to respond to that. We've talked about a lot of how we respond in the unknown times. And it just got to be some very deep topics week after week after week. And there has to come a time where you put the brakes on, you quit focusing on everything that is going on around you, and you simply return back to the basics. You get back to the foundation of our faith. You get back to to what makes our relationship with God our relationship with God. And there's things that over time, if we were to be honest, you hear them so much that you tend to take those things for granted. You hear them so much that you hear the preacher talk about you ought to do this or we ought to do this or this helps with our walk with God. And it's just those sermons that even if you're new to church at Action Church, over time you've heard me say them so much that sometimes we get to where we don't do those things because they've just become so routine to us. We get to the point where the, the magic, if you will, or the, the supernatural of those topics lose their luster, not because the topics become any less meaningful, but because we've heard them so much that we tend to tune out. We're an easily distracted society. We're always looking for the latest and the greatest and the newest and what's the greatest spin on this subject and the greatest spin on that subject. And We go to get books on our faith and we try to find the ones with the catchiest titles or the, the whatever the new spin is, but it, the Bible says there's no new thing under the sun. And sometimes you got to step back, you got to regroup, and you just got to get back to the basics. I was watching the other day, as they said, as the NBA season was about to start, they'd moved all these people down to Florida and put them in what they're calling the bubble as they're trying to get through the season. And they had one of the coaches on, and I'm not a big sports fan, a big basketball fan, so I don't know exactly who the coach was. But they said, what are you spending your time doing right now to get the team prepared? And he said, we're simply getting back to the basics. And that sounds a little bit crazy when you've got athletes that are making millions of dollars to do what they do. But he said, he goes, we spent today, I thought this was, a, this was this kind of blew my mind. He said, we spent our first practice today just dribbling the basketball. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I would think that a professional athlete who makes millions of dollars a year to shoot a ball through a round hoop would know how to dribble a basketball. But sometimes you have to regroup and get back to the basics. He, he said, with all that is going on, with all that is new of our players living in a hotel and not being able to leave, it's all new to them. He goes, I just want to get their minds grounded in on the basics. He said, tomorrow we're going to spend two hours shooting free throws. Again, just back to the basics. So... For the fun of it, I pulled up the rankings or the ratings or whatever you call them, the standings for the basketball league. And the coach that had this team, his team's in second place right now. They're winning a lot of their games because sometimes there's just power in getting back to the basics. And as we think about the things that we get familiar with that we overlook over time, I don't know 
if there's anything we, especially in our faith, overlook as much as we overlook this book. I, I hold in my hand the Word of God. I, I want you to think about that for a second. The creator of the universe, the God who spoke everything into existence, has left us a guidebook to get through life. Whatever question you're asking, the answer can be found in this book. If it cannot be found directly, it can be found through stories, it can be found through principles, it can be found through guidelines. There's power in this book. There's power in the Word of God. Right here, I'm preaching from what is my favorite Bible. 18 years ago, I got a wild hair and said, I want a red Bible to preach from. I looked everywhere for a red Bible to preach from. Couldn't find a red Bible to preach from. I think I told the story. I was preaching at a conference one day. I said, man, I need a red Bible to preach from. And about two weeks later, my mail from some pastor that was in that conference, he sent me a red Bible. He sent me this Bible. I've preached from this Bible every sermon, every wedding, every funeral for the last 16 to 17 years. It's reached the stage where it's falling apart. It's reaching the stage where there's parts of it that are taped up. It's reached the stage where it can't even be my daily reader because it falls apart, and I don't want it to fall apart because I just feel secure and comfortable. It's kind of like that security blanket when I'm preaching. It's my favorite Bible. But the reality is, is there's really nothing fancy about this Bible. If you were to look it up a few years ago, I think the guy who sent me this Bible paid $20 for this Bible. It wasn't some high-dollar Bible. It's not some high-dollar leather. It wasn't made to last 16 years. But the reality is, for me, you can't put a price on this Bible. In my world, this Bible has helped people restore their marriages. In my world, this Bible has helped kids come back home. In my world, this Bible has helped people discover purpose and calling in their life. From the words that have been used from this Bible, addicts have decided to never use again. People have got victory over their hurts, their habits, and their hang-ups. People who would never darken the doors of a church, which is why Action Church exists, have decided, man, they have found a family and a community and a home because of words that have been spoken from this Bible. In America, we're spoiled when it comes to our Bibles. We can go to Walmart, put our mask on, and buy a Bible. We can go to Amazon.com if we don't want to wear a mask and click one button. And within two days, if you have Prime, you can have a Bible sent to you. It's easy to take this Bible for granted. Especially when in places like China, they're literally murdered for carrying something as simple as a Bible. Most of us have more than one Bible and they sit around our house, and on Sunday morning, if we decide to bring our Bible, we pick it up, we blow the dust off of it, and we bring it never having cracked it open all week long. Yet again, in some countries where they live in fear of their lives for the Bible, 
They only get pages of the Bible. What they do is they take those pages and they memorize it word for word where the word of God is imprinted on their heart and then pass those pages on to someone else because they know if they get caught physically with those pages, they'll be killed on the spot. Real simple message today. If you're first time here and you came to hear amazing preaching, you probably came to the wrong church. But if you came just to have a nice reminder of the basics, that's what we're going to do today. I want to remind you today of just the power of the Word of God. Again, sometimes we just take things for granted. I was talking to a friend the other day. He'd been married about 25 years, and his wife walked up, and she said something, and she walked away. And I said, man, do you get up every day and just thank God that she's blind? He said, what do you mean? I said, you have a beautiful wife. And he looked at me, and he said, man, you're right. He said, I have a beautiful wife. And he goes, I don't mean this in a mean way, but when I wake up next to her every day, and I come home to her every day, and I have dinner with her every night, Sometimes I just forget how beautiful she is because she's always there. And that's normal. The things that we have easy access to, the things that we see all the time, sometimes we just take those things for granted. And so many of us in our walk with Christ, if we were to be honest, we have forgotten the power of this book. We have forgotten the importance of this book. We have forgotten the inspiration of this book. The fact that we get to open up a book and hear directly the words of God ought to leave us in awe, but instead it leaves us in, we don't even have time to watch it. We don't even have time to read it. We don't have time to go through it. The Bible says this in 2 Timothy 3. The Bible says all Scripture... Is God-breathed. Someone told me one time, they said, I wish you would just break stuff down in the original language a little more. Well, the beautiful thing about the English version of the Bible is I don't have to break it down in the Greek for you because we have it in English. But I'll break that first word down for you, the word all. In the original language, the word all, are you ready for this? It means all. All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Xander, will you go back to verse 16, please? All Scripture, it's useful for what? Teaching, learning, from something. I know that we are a society who has really become unteachable. We think we know everything. But the Bible is useful for teaching. Rebuking. There's sometimes you need to be rebuked. There's times I need to be rebuked. There's times we need correcting. And there's times that we need training. Next verse, Xander, verse 17. For what reason? To be equipped 
for every good work. If you want to be equipped to live the life that God created you for, if you want to be equipped to live the purpose you were created for, if you want to be equipped to make an impact on other people, it is impossible if you're not in the Word of God. The Word of God equips us for that. And the Bible at its core is really a fascinating book. I mean, think about it. It's the best-selling book of all time. Of all the books that have been written, the Bible is the best-selling book of all time. Did you know that it's also the most shoplifted book of all time? It's the most smuggled book of all time. There's literally people every single day who give their lives just to smuggle this book into countries where it's banned. Truthfully, it isn't just one book. Think about this for a second. It's 66 different books wrapped into one. (laughs) You have an NIV version of the Bible, the New International Version. I'll talk about versions here in a little bit. There's 773,692 words. It would take the average person about 70 hours to read the Bible start to finish. It's written by all sorts of different people. Think about it. 66 books, over 700,000 words, yet one message. Jesus is king. I mean, think about all the different people that have written it. It it was written by politicians, by statesmen, by farmers, by shepherds, by peasants, by musicians, by poets, even tax collectors spent time writing the word of God. It was written in all different types of places. It was written by Moses in the wilderness as God spoke to him. It was written by Jeremiah in a dungeon as God spoke to him. It was written by Luke while he was traveling. Paul was in prison. It was written by John while he was literally exiled to the Isle of Patmos to die for his faith. It was written in 13 different countries on three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. It was written in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic. And even though it was written by all these different people and all these different places over hundreds of years, the one message throughout the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation is that God so loved the world that He gave a plan for you and I to spend eternity with him. This is a book of God's redemptive nature. Over and over. It's not a book contrary to the critics of contradictions. It's consistent. It's true. It's inspired. It speaks on any topic you need an answer to. The Bible speaks on everything from marriage, divorce, remarriage, adultery, sex. Did you know there's an entire book in this Bible about sex? I preached on it. Song of Solomon. 
You say, when are you preaching that again? That way we'll do it soon. We lose about half the church every time I do that series. Talks about lust, greed, guilt, materialism, generosity, healing, hope, forgiveness, parenting, prayer, friendship, pride, obedience, heaven, hell, lying, murder, suicide, rape, fear, doubts, miracles. Talks about love, hate, money, criticism, creation. Talks about government. Talks about submission, rebellion, peace, leadership, comparisons, joy, discontentment, sacrifice, delayed gratification, patience, faithfulness. Talks about enjoying life, self-control, disasters. It talks about injustices. It talks about demons and angels and discipleship and disciplines and fasting and honor and mercy. It talks about caring for the poor. It talks about how to handle wealth. It talks about family. It even talks about cats. You say, really, it talks about cats? No, but it talks about Satan, and that's the same thing. (laughs) Bible says our adversary is like a roaring lion. The lion's part of the cat family. Walks around seeking whom he devour. You keep loving those cats. Those demonic forces that live within your house and prey on you and walk around building their kingdom at night while you sleep. an amazing book it's the word of God and if you're not putting yourself in the word of God every day you're doing yourself a disservice you're missing out on one of the greatest blessings of being a Christ follower you say I don't understand it then you're not reading it I'm just going to be as as blunt with you as I can be. If you can't understand this book, then you're simply not reading it. It's not a complicated book. I, I like to say that when God wrote the word of God, it was like a parent who keeps the cookies on the bottom shelf. He kept them there where everybody can get some. Every jot and tittle is power packed. It's not like the Golden Crowd Buffet where you get to pick and choose what you want. Every word is truth. The Bible says it's like a two-edged sword that pierces to the innermost being. The Bible says his word will not return back void. That's how it doesn't matter when I feel like I've totally screwed up the sermon. People tell me the next day, man, that was so powerful and so great. It had nothing to do with me. It had to do with there's power in the word of God. So I want to talk about the Word of God. I want to talk about the reliability of the Word of God, if you will. If we're going to put our faith in the writings of the Bible, then I think it's a valid question. How do we ask ourselves if the Bible's trustworthy? Is it just because Gary says it is? Well, Lord, if you're believing anything I say, you're in bad shape. Is it because preachers of the past or because Granny passed it down to us? Do do we believe the Bible is the word of God because for so many of us, especially here in the South, we at least had a growing up in church, even if we left the church. We grew up in Awanas, and we grew up in vacation Bible school, and we grew up going to Sunday school. Do we just think the word of God is the word of God because it's the word of God? Is it just a, a bunch of opinions of different people? Well, there's an interesting 
situation. In 1952, there was a historian named Steve Sanders. If you want to do an interesting search, go Google search Steve Sanders. He came up with three specific tests to evaluate the authenticity of historical writings. Not necessarily the Bible, just historical writings in general. He came up with three tests to evaluate if these historical writings were authentic in nature. So let's put the Bible to those tests today. The first test that Sanders came up with is what's known as the internal test. The internal test. Say, what is the internal test? Well, it's very simply. Regarding the Bible, the internal test answers this question. Do the writers of the Bible claim that their writings are true? You say, well, of course, they well, no, not necessarily. A lot of people historically wrote books of fiction. They said these were fictitious books. These were not true events. But do those who wrote the book claim their writings are true? Or do they just say, listen, listen, I'm just going to give you a great story. I, I'm just going to make it up. I, I, or do they say, no, 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 this is true. I was there. I saw it. This is accurate. The internal test. Well, the Bible says this in 2 Peter. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter says, listen, the stories I tell you are not old stories I'm making up. They're not stories that were passed down to me. I'm not spinning a yarn, if you will. He said, I'm telling you stories that we were eyewitnesses of. We saw with our own eyes. New Testament was written between 47 and 95 A.D. So think about that. We're 2020 now. They were written in the year between 47 and the year 95. So think about this. As the word of God was written, as the word of God was dispersed, as the word of God and the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of Paul would have begun to make the round, there was plenty of first-generation Christ followers still alive during that time. People who saw firsthand what the teachings were. At any time, they could have come along and refuted Scripture. They could have said, no, 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 that's not true. I was there. But they didn't. Any history you go through, as you begin to read the history, you'll see that people say there was a man named Jesus. That there was an early movement called the church. We live in a day and time where it's so easy to spin anything you want to spin. Hello? How many times has the news posted something? I saw it just this week. How many of you saw the pictures? I think it was of Riverview High School or River Ridge High School. And the entire hall was just slammed. You couldn't even walk down it. Everybody saw that? Then did anybody see where they said that picture was taken like two years ago? And one of the students was walking down the hall this year. And there was like eight people in the hall because they had three different bells that changed classes. I'm not trying to get political here. I'm just simply saying there's a difference when you see something eyewitness at yourself. 
I saw the guy say, that's me in that picture. I graduated two years ago. That wasn't me this week. We can spend anything we want to spend, can we not? But it's increasingly hard to spend the truth when there's eyewitnesses there. The internal test of what did the writer say it was true was seen that the people of the time verified the acts that were laid out in the word of God. So yes, it passes the internal test. The external test. What does the outside evidence say of the Bible? In other words, what do the non-biblical sources of the day say about the stories of the Bible? Do they confirm the biblical stories? Or do they say, no, those weren't exactly true? But as you read historians, let me make this very clear. As you read non-Christian historians, over and over, you'll see them talk about a man named Jesus. You'll see them talk about a man who had a huge following named Jesus. You'll see them talk about the teachings of a man named Jesus. You can go back and read Roman writers and they talk about the movement of the early church. They'll talk about a man named Paul. You can go back and read the Greek writers. You can go back to the Jewish sources. The most famous historian of all in that time, first century historian, was a guy named Josephus. And he wrote, you can, read, you can still buy his books, the writings of Josephus. They're amazing. And over and over, he talks about this man named Jesus. He talks about John the Baptist. He wrote about James. He talked about all kinds of other biblical leaders that we read about, how during this time their influence was taking place. He talks so much about the stories that we read in the book of Acts, not because he heard about them, but because he witnessed them with his own eyes. A man who didn't have a dog in the fight was not even considered a Christ follower. Yet he verified over and over and over affirming the teachings of Jesus. The external test is it passed. Do you know that those that refute the Bible, the number one thing they've always used going back in history as far as the external test was they always went back to archaeology. And they said the archaeological findings of the day do not support the stories found in the Bible. There's not enough archaeological discoveries to support Scripture and 34 years ago, 30 to 40 years ago, to be honest with you, they had a very valid point. If there was any critique that would maybe discredit the Word of God, it was a lot of the archaeological findings in different places did not support the teachings of the Bible. But as we've entered into the 20th century, we have found that to be reversed over and over, with changes in technology and changing in the way they go about discovering things underground and the things that they have discovered hidden in caves and the things that they've discovered hidden in certain mountaintops, 
over and over, almost on a weekly basis, they're discovering archaeological findings that go back and support the Word of God. So what used to be the biggest external critic of the validity of the Word of God now has slowly been changing. They're supporting the truth found in the Scripture. So it passes the external test. So how do we know the Bible is the Word of God? Well, Sanders said there's the internal test. He said there's the external test. And then he said there's the bibliographical test. Seems like a word you would hear if you were in school. Bibliographical test. Gives you flashbacks. To me it does anyway. You say, what is the bibliographical test? Well, the bibliographical test wants to find out how well were the original documents translated into our current documents. How well were the original manuscripts? Because you need to understand something. Back historically, when someone wrote a book, when they wrote Jeremiah, wrote Jeremiah, and Paul wrote Romans, they wrote one copy of that book. There were no copy machines. There were no PDFs to email of the original. There was an original. And guess how you got a second version of the original? You sat down, you lit a candle, you pulled out paper, you pulled out your ink, you pulled out your pen, and you copied word for word the original. As you can imagine, that left lots of room for error. And so when they go back and they study historical writings... They want to know how much does the current version line up with the older, the original version. Let's talk about how many copies were made in the Old Testament. What's amazing is that they would actually count the Old Testament. They would start writing it. And after they had copied the original documents, listen to this in the Old Testament, somebody would go back and review the copies. It could take somebody two to three years to make a copy of the original. If they found one mistake, no questions asked, that copy was destroyed immediately. So as you can imagine, there was very few copies of the originals. The ones that were kept being passed around from people would fall apart. As they would begin to fall apart, they would be ceremoniously destroyed. They would be buried. So for centuries, the most reliable manuscript we had was known as the Masiotic Text. That was the oldest text, the oldest copy that we had of the original. For the longest time, that was the copy that everything was based upon. It was the only copy. So it becomes very hard to verify the biblical graphical test 
when there's only one copy. Now, here's an amazing part of the story. Because the Bible says his word will be preserved. About 70 AD, the Romans were attacking the Jewish people. And as they were trying to destroy their culture, especially their religious heritage, the people took the manuscripts that they had, they rolled them up, and they put them in bottles, and they corked the bottles, and they hid those bottles in caves. Save the word of God. Hence why we had very few copies, only the Masoretic text. In 1947, almost 2,000 years later, a shepherd is wandering through the hills, walks inside a cave, and finds some old bottles stuffed with paper. These are what is referred to, if you study, as the Dead Sea Scrolls. As they comes out of there, he passes it on to the proper authorities. They send archaeologists down there, and they begin to discover other sources buried here. They come up with 11 complete manuscripts of the Old Testament stuffed into bottles. With 99.3% accuracy, it lined up with the Masoretic text from thousands of years ago that we had. So the bibliographical text begins to happen. How, how accurate are the biblical copies? Well, let's compare it to some of the historical writings, the New Testament. For example, in high school, how many of you ever read the book of Odyssey or the Iliad of, of Homer? You know, um, the Odyssey... There were 643 copies that they've been able to find off the original. Some of the other writings, like Plato's Republic, they found seven. Um, Aristotle's writings, there was five copies of. Caesar's um, writings, there was ten copies of. They've been able to find over 24,000 copies of New Testament manuscripts over the years. That again, over 99% accuracy, word from word to all of them. When the Bible is compared against any other historical writing, it stands alone in its authenticity. It stands alone in its reliability. Again, not one of our most craziest sermons. I'm not hooping and hollering today and you're not getting to amen today. But sometimes you got to get historical and get back to the basics because if we're going to stand up week after week after week and talk about this is the word of God, I don't know about you. I want to know why we say it's the word of God. And it passes the internal test. It passes the external test. It passes the bibliographical test. As you read the Word of God, you will see that it directs your life. How many times have you randomly opened up the Bible, read a verse, and it spoke right to your heart? My gosh, what a coincidence. No, 
Here's what the Bible says about this book, Hebrews 4. It says, for the word of God is alive. This book is alive. It is active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirits, the joint and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. I'm here to tell you today as Christ followers, we have a GPS system for the life that we're called to live, and it's called the Bible. It's precious. And you're doing yourself a disservice if you're not in the Word of God. You're doing yourself a disservice if you're not reading the Word of God. Someone told me, they said, I get get fed from you, talking about me. If you only eat one meal a week, you ain't going to survive very long. I'm not the best preacher in the world, but you could bring the best preacher in the world, the preacher that all you guys love to share his video because he's the sound clip king, and you can put him up on this stage, and if that's the only sermon you hear all week and it's the only time you get fed all week, you're going to starve to death. Nobody lives on one meal a week. This, This is the meat and potatoes. I'm the milk. When you grow up, you move past milk. You begin to eat solid food. You begin to feed yourself. You know how we know when our kids are starting to grow up? When I don't have to sit at the table and play the airplane game with them. We know they're growing up when they can feed themselves. And hey, as they learn to feed themselves... Sometimes it's messy. As you begin to read the Word of God, there will be some things at first that maybe you don't completely understand. Keep reading the Word of God. Or better yet, start in the Gospels. Oh, we'll get to that in a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. Read about Jesus. Feed yourself. Watch your life begin to transform. As the word of God penetrates your heart. So what I want to do today is we're going to close out and we're going to get done early. Grady irritated me last week. He tried to get brownie points with y'all by preaching short. So I'm going to one-up him and I'm going to preach short today. If you're visiting for the first time today, you need to write this down because I'm an hour-long preacher normally. But I'm going to get you out of here early today because I'm hungry. I'm going to give you some real simple things today. When it comes to reading the Bible, you're, they're groundbreaking. Are you ready? First thing you got to do is you got to pick a Bible. Groundbreaking. What do you mean, Gary? I mean, get a Bible. You know the amazing thing today about a Bible? You don't even got to have go to the store and buy one. Amazing thing on your phone called an app. There's an amazing app on your phone. They made it real complicated. Guess what it's called? The Bible app. The Bible app is probably one of the most amazing apps ever created. Guess what the Bible app is? It's free. A church in Oklahoma called Life Church, probably the largest church in America, decided 
As part of their mission budget years ago, they were going to bring on full-time, Christ-following app developers where they could create an app where everyone that had a smartphone could access the Bible. It's got every version of the Bible that's ever been written on it. It probably has over 5,000 daily devotions on it. You're able to log in and take notes on it. It truly is an amazing app. But some people, maybe you're like me and you just like the feel of the pages in your hand. I get it. Go buy a Bible. If you cannot afford a Bible, you come to me after the service and let me know you can't afford a Bible. I'm not going to make fun of you. I'm not going to tell anybody. I can promise you I can get as many Bibles as we need bought from people in this church for you. No excuses. You need a Bible. Now, here's where things get a little confusing. What version? There's different versions of the Bible. Let me make this very clear. People love to debate about versions of the Bible. There's not different versions that say different things, no matter what they tell you. There's different versions written because the English language has changed. The first English translated Bible was called the King James Bible. It was written in 1611. There was no English translation of the Bible. If you go back and you read the King James Version of the Bible, it's beautiful. Language was different then. It was almost Shakespearean. They spoke different than we do. And for that day and time, it was a relevant language. There's nothing wrong with the King James Version of the Bible. Let me make that very clear to you. But if you try to start reading the Bible and you start with the King James Version of the Bible, chances are real good you're not going to completely understand the these and the thous and the ethnos that get on the words of everything. There's words that were used then that are not used today. I personally, when my reading, I love the New Living Translation version of the Bible. I like the language that it's used. I like the wording. I like the manuscripts that it was taken from, and I enjoy that. That being said, I preach from what is referred to as the NIV version of the Bible, the New International Version of the Bible. It's the most commonly used version of the Bible. It's the most commonly respected version of the Bible. Chances are, if you were to go to Walmart with your mask on and buy a Bible, they're going to only have the NIV version of the Bible. It's a phenomenal, widely accepted version. It's the version that I recommend everyone. If you're a more scholarly person, there's the ESV version of the Bible. The ESV version of the Bible is a word-for-word translation. So a lot of times as you take the Greek words and you translate them to English, word for word doesn't necessarily make sense. Kind of even like if you, if you speak Spanish. Every Spanish word, you can't translate it word for word and it always makes sense in the English language, so you have to kind of tweak it. So, but the ESV is a word for word translation. A lot of scholarly people, when I'm looking for, to dig somewhat deep, I pull out on the Bible app and click the ESV version. But my suggestion for us... Take it or leave it. I'm not telling you you have to do it. But be start with the NIV version of the Bible. Pick a Bible. Groundbreaking. Hey, second, this is just as groundbreaking. Number two, read the Bible. Groundbreaking news. 
I just wish Gary would go a little bit deeper, and I just think sometimes he's so shallow when he's preaching. Here's the problem with going deeper. Most of you aren't doing the elementary stuff, so there's no point in me going deeper. When you get down to basics, we'll start going deeper. When you start reading the Bible, we'll go deeper. When you start understanding the power of prayer, like I'm going to talk about next week, we'll go deeper. When you start sharing your faith, like I'm going to talk about the following week, we'll go deeper. We're not going to, someone asked me, they said, I just wish you would break down the book of Revelation. I'll break down Revelation for you all day, baby. Contrary to probably, let me shock you for a minute. Don't let the shorts and the tattooed leg and the hillbilly voice. I have a doctorate in pastoral theology. Christine was unpacking a box one day. We'd been married about three years. She said, what is this? I said, oh, that's my doctorate. She's like, you have a doctorate? Yeah, who cares? It ain't worth the paper it was written on. That doctorate did not prepare me to pastor you crazy folks. That was the school of hard knocks. Nowhere in that doctor did I know I was going to have to go into a crack house in downtown Atlanta and pull some of y'all out. It means nothing. But my point is I say that to say this. I'll break down Revelation for you all day long after you learn the basics. You want to jump in the deep end and you ain't even waded out to the shallow end, baby. You want to break down the end times that theologians have been debating about for for hundreds of years and still can't agree on, and you ain't even read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to hear about the teachings of the life of Jesus. I ain't doing it. I refuse to pastor a church that wants to get fat digging deep and won't put it into action. So read your Bible. I'm going to challenge you in a real simple way to read your Bible. Five minutes a day. Five minutes a day. I just don't have time. Thursday night, I downloaded a TV series called Yellowstone. Anybody seen Yellowstone? Wow, do not download that series if you do not have time. Because I am now 20 episodes in since Thursday. So what's the point? The point is this. We find time to do what we want to do. We woke up yesterday morning, I told her, I said, well, we need to cancel everything today. She said, well, I, said, I got to find out what happens. Like, we went and got pizza last night. I was like, let's just get to go. We had no kids. Like, I want to sit in the bed. Possibly naked and watch Yellowstone. I'm just saying. I'm married. That's legal. I can do that. I'm not saying we did that because we didn't. We set the dinner table. and But in my head, it sounded better the way I wanted to do it. Five minutes. Five minutes. Because that five minutes will grow to ten. That ten will grow to fifteen. Just read the Bible. I'm going to tell you the simplest way to read the Bible. In that five minutes, here's what I want you to do. Go to the beginning of the New Testament. It's called the book of Matthew. The first four books of the New Testament are called the Gospels. They're the good news. That's what the word gospel means. They're about the life of Jesus from the viewpoint of Matthew, from what he saw. Mark, Luke, and John. I want you to read, start in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. 
And I want you to read one chapter. So that's not going to take five minutes exactly. And then I want you to skip over back to the Old Testament right after the Psalms to a book called Proverbs. Proverbs is where the wisest man who ever lived, King Solomon, passed down wisdom to his son. There's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. Most of our months have 31 days, so I want you on whatever day of the month it is to read that chapter. If you get to day 30 and there's only 30 days, read two chapters, 30 and 31, and once a year in February, read three. It won't kill you. The next day, I want you to go read Matthew chapter 2. And whatever day, today's the ninth, 10th, ninth. So tomorrow, you'll go to Proverbs 10. That's it. That's simple. Two chapters a day. You say every month, every month, every single day now for 20 years, I have read the Proverbs every day. Can I tell you something? 20 years of doing it. Now, I don't read the Gospels every day because I've been past that. But I still go to the Proverbs every day. Every day, I read something that I've read a million times that convicts me. It says a lot about anger, a lot about wealth, a lot about lust. There's so much, a lot about business. There are so many business principles in Proverbs. Every day. You'll never go wrong. As you move on to breaking down Revelation and going deeper, awesome. Still go back to Proverbs. It's so incredible. I could take three years and preach through the book of Proverbs, and you'd never hear the same topics once. It's incredible. So we're going to pick a Bible. We're going to read a Bible. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to write down your thoughts. You're not going to think about your thoughts. You're not going to analyze your thoughts. You're just going to write down whatever thoughts pop into your brain. Because that's God speaking to you. Just write them down. As we grow in our faith and we're getting a little bit more time, then, and you're going to do them in this order, because you're always going to write down your thoughts first. Then, I see Tom Hunt doing this all the time and sharing it on the Action Prayer Group page. If you're not part of that page, you ought to be part of that page. If you don't come to prayer meeting, they have it on Monday, you ought to come and pray with them. About three or four of them every week gather and they pray. I have no doubt that those three or four people got this church through the time we went through, through prayer. There's power in prayer. You're going to study the thoughts of reputable scholars. So if you want to, you can study. And guess what? You don't even got to go buy the books or look for it. It's on the Bible app. Will be the thoughts of amazing scholars. I don't always agree with them. That's the great thing. You don't always have to agree. But there's interesting thoughts. Guess what? We're going to apply what we wrote down to our life. If God spoke to you about something, you're going to apply it to your life. How does this that I read today apply to where I'm at in my life? For you, it might apply different than it does for me. Because we're in different stages in life. Remember the word of God's alive? It's sharpening to a sword. It might prick you different than it pricks me. I have 732 kids. It might prick me in a way that applies to those 732 kids where someone without kids, it might prick them in a different way. 
So you gotta say, how does this apply to my life? After that, here's the last step. You put it into action. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, to him that knows to do good and does it not, it's sin. So when you know to do something and you do not do that something, it is sin. So when the word of God gives you something to write down, you realize how it applies to your life, and you don't put it into action, you have now entered into the sin category. We hate that word, don't we? We don't get any amens when you talk about sin. Here's what I've learned today. You don't get any amens when you talk about the word of God because the large majority start reading it. You talk about Yellowstone, everybody cheers. Don't that suck? Talk about the word of God, we sit there quiet. You know why? Because the large majority of people in this church, I'm not trying to be mean to you today. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. But if it does and it applies, sorry, take it up with God. You're convicted today. Because you don't read the word of God. You get up every morning and says, starting your day with the word of God, you start your day with Facebook. Our Fox News. Argue, look who you can argue with through direct message. But you don't start your day with the word of God. Oh, BTW, in case you think I'm beating you up. Gary Lamb, the king of rolling over and starting my day with Facebook. So I get it. I get it. But there's not a lot of amens because we're not picking up the word of God and reading the word of God. You know the biggest challenge for me? I have to pretty much read the Bible every day because every seven days I got to come up with a sermon. Just part of the gig. Here's a challenge in my life. Am I reading the word of God for me instead of just looking for a sermon? I'm going to be in the book every day. Because it's part of the gig. But am I in the book every day because it's part of impacting my life? Huge difference. Pick a Bible, read a Bible, write down your thoughts, study the thoughts, apply it to your life. I'm going to put a couple of things up here. I'd recommend you take out and you take pictures of those. If you want some great resources, those are some great resources. Version is the Bible app I was telling you about. All you got to do is type in Bible and it will show you Version. Crosswalk's a great one. Bible study, study life, Bible gateway. Those are all great resources that are free. You know, when I got in ministry, probably when I married Christine even, I had thousands upon thousands of dollars and study books, thousands, thousands of dollars. And everything in all those study books with the advancement of technology is free right there. The commentaries, the scholars, all of it. Ah, No excuse for not being able to read the Word of God. You want your life changed? Get back to the basics and get in the book.